The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. I expect that we'll be able to say more about timing as we see more data, basically. There's not a lot of more light I can, I can shed on that. But you can think of this meeting that we had as the talking about talking about meeting, if, if you like. Very good morning, everybody. The Fed accelerates its rate hike timeline and sharply increases its inflation forecast, sending Wall Street into the red as the boss of hedge fund giant Man Group tells CNBC that price pressures will escalate. I think it was very predictable early this year that as we got the opening, we were going to see some really quite scary inflation prints over the early summer. And sure enough, that's what we're seeing today. The UK, last week, the US. You know, I think we have some more scary prints to come. Meanwhile, Presidents Biden and Putin agreed to hold cyber and arms control talks as their Geneva sit-down wraps up without the fireworks of the last US-Russia summit. I believe there's been no hostility. On the contrary, the meeting took place in a constructive spirit. We have varied assessments on a number of issues, but I believe both sides expressed willingness to understand each other. As the two traditional adversaries come together, the IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva warns of missed opportunities in a divided world. We are in a more shock-prone world. So uh, the logic of today and tomorrow is to overcome differences on the big issues the world faces. Well, the Novartis CEO, Vaz Narasimhan, tells CNBC future pandemics are bound to happen, but says lessons have been learned from the COVID outbreak. The tricky thing, I think, is going to be four or five years from now, often what happens is attention moves away from pandemic preparedness, investments go down, and then the susceptibility levels go up. I'm optimistic this time. I think this pandemic has really been a wake-up call. The CEO of Man Group issues a warning on meme stocks, but Luke Ellis tells CNBC the surge in retail trading will cause a radical shift for the cinema industry. You can read what they're doing with emojis and so on and basically use it to avoid trading the names that they're super excited about because they're mostly creating false markets. Producers of, of To The Second got this show uh, done in what's called The Rundown every day, in case our viewers don't know. Well, oh, straight away, I just I find the headlines have stimulated me to break up that beautifully crafted show straight away. Uh, because, I mean, just, just that bite that, that Jeff introduced from Jay Powell there. Well, good morning, viewers, by the way. It's not just me and Karen. Jeff's there as well somewhere. Uh, 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 this is the meeting where we're talking about talking about. Well, I was thinking it's the meeting where he's talking down talking about talking about. I mean, everything that Jay Powell says... There he is next to me, larger than life. It seems to be about talking down the prospects of them achieving their goals. The whole point is to achieve a long-term target of 2%. The whole point is to normalise the jobs market. The whole point is to normalise interest rates. And yet he's talking down the prospects every opportunity he gets because he doesn't want to scare the horses. Yeah, I think there was a level of distaste around the term talking about talking about a taper. He was very much wanting to dismiss that. But equally, it was pointed out, very different to dialogue that he had with the journalist 
journalist in the press conference, he was not so aggressive or hawkish versus uh, what we saw actually from the Fed. So quite a difference in, in views to an extent. Look, look, look at this. I, I pulled out another bite. The big grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt. These projections do not reflect the committee decision or plan. Well, well these, this, by the way, is what he's talking about. These are dots. And when you put them together, they become a plot. OK, let's read it. The producers have put a lot of work into this, so I might as well do it properly. <laughs> We've only lost a minute and a half so far. Casey's quite pleased. Right, the Federal Reserve has predicted at least two interest rate hikes in 2023, accelerating its previous timeline by a year. The policymakers cited an improved outlook in the US labour market thanks to widespread vaccinations and easing restrictions. Following its latest two-day meeting, the central bank also kept current borrowing costs, yes, you guessed it, near zero. Well, as we were saying, Mr. Powell playing down the importance. I mean, people put a lot of, there are people paid, dare I say it, seven figures to analyse this stuff. But he's played down the importance of the Fed's latest dot plot, saying it represents individual projections. The dots are not a great forecaster of, of future rate moves. And that's not because, it, it's just because it's so highly uncertain. There is no great forecaster of of uh, future dots. So so dots to be taken with it with a big uh, big grain of salt. Well, the Fed also maintained its pandemic-era bond-buying program at $120 billion a month. Powell said future debates about reducing the purchases should be seen as a sign of confidence in the recovery. I expect that we'll be able to say more about timing as we see more data, basically. There's not a lot of more light I can, I can shed on that. But you can think of this meeting that we had as the talking about talking about meeting, if, if you like. And, and I now suggest that we retire that term, which has is, which is served its purpose well, I think. Um, so committee participants were of the view that uh, since the, we adopted that guidance in December, the economy has clearly made progress, although we are still a ways from our goal of substantial further progress. Participants expect continued progress uh, ahead toward that objective. And assuming that is the case, it will be appropriate to consider announcing a plan for reducing our asset purchases at a future meeting. So... At coming meetings, the committee will continue to assess the economy's progress toward our goals and will give advance notice before announcing any decision. To the markets, uh, let's take a look at what investors did with the new information. This was billed as a big risk event and uh, investors are now repricing their expectations around rate rises in 2023 to an extent. Uh, you've got the Dow uh, pulling back. You can see it was a, a fall, not a, a deep fall, but still a reversal, eight-tenths of a percent almost. And it was the third negative session in a row that we've witnessed over the course of the trading week. There's been a lot of caution in the Dow to the point where we've pulled back 1.3% so far this week. Other areas of the market, uh, a little bit more contained. It was curious, we were wondering if there would be a flow-on effect for the technology stocks if we had a slightly more hawkish tilt from the Fed. But uh, you can see still somewhat resilient at this stage. The Nasdaq only down uh, a quarter of 1%. And keep in mind, both the Nasdaq and S&P have been at record territory. So if uh, the market had truly been spooked, you may have had a, a much bigger move to the downside. That simply has not happened. Uh, let's take a look at Treasuries and that yield in particular. Yesterday before... Uh, the uh, outcome from the two-day meeting, we were looking at a, a yield that was roughly 1.49%. You can see now, same time, 1.57%. So there has been that escalation. The steepening of the yield curve has played out as investors have picked out the pieces from the Fed meeting. So uh, it is uh, an interesting one where you have seen uh, this lift off a little bit, but not quite back to where we had the March levels of 1.7%. Uh, the implications for the dollar as uh, yield has picked up slightly, 
the dollar uh, morning session actually trading a little bit weaker versus the, the major currencies versus sterling. You can see uh, we approached just shy of the 140 handle, euro 119.98, so just off the 120 level. Dollar yen trades weaker, a little bit firmer versus the yuan. Well, isn't it uh, ironic, Steve uh, and Karen, as we get this first uh, apparent breakthrough in the Fed's previous line? We're still only talking about potentially a rate hike in two and a half years time and possibly another two trillion dollars worth of Fed buying. So um, at the moment, it seems it's not the huge step forward in the fight against inflation that perhaps many had started to hope would take place. But we obviously had a terrific Evolve uh, summit yesterday, and we had a lot of speakers who wanted to weigh in on the issue of inflation. So let's just have a, a little listen in to some of the comments we had from the CEOs that we spoke to at CNBC's Global Evolve Summit. I think it was very predictable early this year that as we got the opening, we were going to see some really quite scary inflation prints over the early summer. And sure enough, that's what we're seeing today. The UK, last week, the US. You know, I think we have some more scary prints to come. Overall, we don't expect infl inflation to stay uh, and we think it's more a short-term effect. We also see that in some of the rates, uh, we expect rates to stay low. And, and you see that, again, with our clients, the investment opportunities they're looking for are still, you're still searching for yield because the base rates are low. Before we assume uh, price increases, we better make sure that we understand them properly. And if we understand them, we also can translate them to consumer prices and also pass on that part which is, uh, which is justified. Right. Great to see uh, Zachary Griffiths join us now, senior macro strategist at Wells Fargo Securities. Zachary, really lovely to uh, get your thoughts today. Uh, even you're on this as well. FOMC, uh, two dots equals double trouble. Well, I mean, yeah, the market took a bit of fright yesterday, but it's still nowhere near the levels on the 10-year, for instance, that we were at our peak earlier this year. For instance, at the end of March, we were 1.75. Is the market really uh, taking fright? Yeah, that's a great question. We think that when you look at the reaction in the belly of the yield curve, that was pretty substantial as much of a, as a 10 basis point move in the five-year yield. So definitely a substantial move there. But as far as longer run yields go, you're right. It's quite a bit lower than we saw. And you had a big move today. But we think that going forward, you're going to continue to see yields rise. And that's really going to be driven by this global economic reopening while you do have a Fed that's starting to think about tapering asset purchases at some point down the road. Zachary, I've been in and around these markets way too long, dare I say it, since the late 80s. And I don't think I've ever, ever seen a central bank trying to talk down uh, the evidence uh, to calm the markets more than I'm seeing now. To have the central bank governor dismissing his own dot plot as something which is, and I'll quote, not reflecting the committee decision or plan. Uh, when people change their minds, and we're talking about two years out, the market's getting worried about it, and he is aware of that. So what's going on? here. They seem to be talking down their projections, talking down the prospects of actually achieving their goals at some stage. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting time in monetary policy. And I think what you're seeing is Chairman Powell really just trying to very easily move toward, I wouldn't call it necessary policy tightening, but taking off the gas of the accommodation. And 
he's really doing everything he can to make that as gradual a process as possible. And I think really they're doing a fairly good job of that. And when you think about the move today, it certainly spooked the markets a bit. It was a bigger move in that 2023 median dot, as you pointed out. But at the end of the day, they didn't change their forward guidance with respect to asset purchases. So they do intend to remain accommodative for much longer. And like you pointed out, two years down the road, who knows what could happen over the next two years? You know, if if the public health crisis were to return or the economy were not to evolve the way that most currently expect, then that's really irrelevant what they have in a, a two-year forward uh, policy rate expectation. Zachary, I want to get into the uh, inflation uh, level that the Fed's expecting. Uh, they raised the headline inflation number to 3.4%. That was a full percentage point higher than the routing back in March when they were trying to level up the, the pricing pressures. As we look at the economic data that's also crossed since then, we've seen a little bit of weakness now move into the retail sales number as consumers transition from buying products to services with the reopening theme that's happened. Lumber prices have come off as we talk about shadow inventory in the market. What's your expectation about that headline number and what the Fed does next with it? Yeah, so we do think that inflation is going to pick up from here or at least remain elevated for at least a short period of time. And what we thought was most interesting with the Fed's summary of economic projections today is that you really saw these big increases in GDP and inflation for the current year. But as far as adjustments to 2022 and 2023, they were very minimal or non-existent. So the Fed is still leaning on this transitory story. And you really saw that in the latest set of uh, economic projections released today. I want to bring in the timing around a taper and then a rate hike. As we've seen on the back of the last financial crisis, it's very hard to do both at the same time. Often one has to preempt the other, which means that if we're going to see a rate hike or two in 2023, that you're going to have to have some sort of taper that takes place between now and then. What do you make of that and the ability of the Fed to execute on this exit? Yeah, so our expectation for a taper is that it would be announced sometime later this year. And we've been penciling in the December meeting as when it gets announced and the enacting of the tapering plan would actually begin in the first quarter of 2022. And if you look at what they did after the global financial crisis, that tapering process would take the majority of next year. And then when we get into 2023, that's when the Fed can really consider actually hiking rates. And that's our forecast. We don't expect them to increase rates till at least 2023 and perhaps longer again. There's a lot of time between now and then where the economy could stumble or some public health crises could come back up. So we think that the taper is likely by the end of the year to be implemented in early 2022, and that could set up for rate hikes eventually in 2023. But it's really going to depend on how the economy evolves, and the Fed has really harped on that with its new longer-run policy. So, Zachary, let me ask you a question about what you do in terms of uh, dollar assets here. There's been some trend to relocate into Europe on the anticipation that the ECB will move much more slowly than the Fed. Does this just speed up that reallocation? I think you could see some of that, but today you really had a Fed that is trying to walk a tightrope here by attempting to signal that they could remove accommodation at some point down the road while at the same time really keeping asset purchases steady, providing a lot of accommodation. And the latest from the ECB is they're not ready to taper asset purchases either. So it's an interesting dynamic that we think is going to be key to keep an eye on going forward. But at the end of the day, it seems likely the Fed 
will probably move to tighten policy a bit more quickly than the ECB. So when you uh, when you guys sit down in your asset allocation committee meeting at the end of this week or whenever you have it, how is the news that we've had from the Federal Reserve going to nuance where you think about allocating assets? Well, it certainly puts the the U.S. in focus in the sense that we do expect yield to continue rising on the back of an accommodative Fed rising inflation. And perhaps you see a bit less of that and a bit less of tightening from the ECB. So that could push some asset allocation abroad as you expect the central bank to remain more accommodative for longer. And that's typically better for risk assets. So that's something that, that we consider. But at the end of the day, for U.S. dollar assets, especially fixed income, we think that you need a position for higher rates and a steeper yield curve from here. Right, Zachary, this is the moment where we think about thinking about thinking about saying goodbye to you. In fact, no, no, I hear from the policymakers in the gallery. We are going to actually say goodbye. So watch out for a market reaction. Uh, Zachary, thank you very much indeed for that. Zachary Griffith, senior macro strategist at Wells Fargo Securities. Well, we actually made a decision. How long did you think about thinking about making that comment? Oh, I think about these things a lot, you right. know, but I like a bit of extempore, as you know, mm. and the producers hate that. But there you go. Shall we uh, make it up as we go now? <laughs> I love making it up. We could rip up the rundown. That would be a new idea. Didn't we have a producer once who said that? Anyway, good morning, Patrick. Uh, coming up on the show, we'll have more from the CNBC Evolve Global Summit. Yes, CNBC Evolve Global Summit is the correct name, Jeffrey. Uh, with a focus on healthcare in a post-pandemic world. We'll hear from the Novartis CEO, Vaz Narasimhan, and Albert Bula, Chairman and CEO at Pfizer. After the break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. CureVac shares almost halved in extended trading on Wall Street after the German biotech company said its COVID-19 vaccine was only 47% effective in a late-stage trial. CureVac has a deal with the European Union to deliver up to 405 million vaccines. The company said it had hoped for a stronger interim outcome, but will continue with the trial, still expecting to roll out the vaccine next year. And as we know, having covered so many trials now, you want that effectiveness to be as high as possible. Variants come out and then sometimes you see that effectiveness rate slip. So at this level, it's quite a disappointment. You've got to start off at a higher level than exactly that, haven't right. you? That, that, that's potentially a massive blow for the procurement programme for the EU for next year and for others as well, let's be honest about it. Yeah, every vaccine required at this point as we talk about keeping the world vaccinated. The EU has expressed strong concern to Johnson & Johnson over expectations it will miss its target to supply 55 million coronavirus vaccine doses by the end of June. Last week, the European Medicines Agency banned the use of 17 million doses from the company over safety concerns. A batch of the J&J vaccines was contaminated in April with ingredients meant for AstraZeneca's jabs at a US factory uh, contracted to make them both.
Novartis CEO Vaz Narasimhan has urged global leaders to maintain investment in pandemic preparedness, telling CNBC's Evolve Global Summit uh, that another pandemic will likely happen again in the future. Juliana spoke to the chief executive of the Swiss pharmaceutical giant with Narasimhan saying technology will play a key role moving forward. What I would say is this last year and a half, I think, has taught us how important a role healthcare companies, healthcare plays for human beings around the planet and how important it is not only to tackle pandemics, but I think it's been a stark reminder with the so-called syndemic that's happened really in developed and developing economies that are impacting cardiovascular health, oncology and uh, cancer care, uh, respiratory, other diseases. We've seen this kind of awareness now of the important role that we as an industry play, but also overall how society needs to take care of it, the communities that uh, governments, academia, and companies serve. So I think it, it's a good reminder for us, and I think there are a lot of important learnings that come out of this pandemic, and also some important technology changes that I think now we have an opportunity to accelerate. Tom Steiner, viewer of this program, asking about uh, pandemics in the future. Do you expect another pandemic in the coming years? And if so, how can we prepare now? Well, you know, pandemics have been with us for centuries. If you go back into the recorded history, probably on the order of 15 pandemics in the last 200 to 300 years. And so pandemics periodically happen, and they're probably bound to happen again in the future. I was part of the G7 delegation to the health ministers, G7 summit, amongst with other biopharmaceutical executives. And we discussed exactly this topic and coming together to commit to really accelerate the future responses to a pandemic. Um, so we know what the solutions are. It's just very hard to maintain the investments over time. There, we need world-class surveillance uh, to really identify when viruses move from animal populations to human populations. And we need a policy framework for that information to be very rapidly shared. We need warm preparedness in healthcare systems. We need them to maintain the stock of critical, infra critical um, goods that they need to really get, ensure patient care. And, and lastly, we need to keep investing in therapeutics, vaccines, and diagnostics. We know the answers, and we know what needs to happen. The tricky thing, I think, is going to be four or five years from now, often what happens is attention moves away from pandemic preparedness, investments go down, and then the susceptibility levels go up. I'm optimistic this time. I think this pandemic has really been a wake-up call. I also think we have better technology than we've ever had from a, from a therapeutics and diagnostic standpoint. So hopefully for the next pandemic, we'll be even better. I still would say it is remarkable that 18 months from uh, when this virus first emerged, we have billions of vaccine doses produced, multiple therapeutics, and Novartis is playing its part, also producing for some of our partners. We should have over 10 billion doses, we hope, by the end of this year produced around the world. Pfizer CEO Albert Bula struck an optimistic note at the CNBC Evolve Global Summit, uh, saying that he believes richer nations could be fully inoculated by the end of this year. I believe that uh, speaking about the entirety of the world, that will take us uh, to the, the end of next year, uh, 2022, when I judge from the volumes that will be available to vaccinate the whole world, but also how long it will take uh, for them to have successful vaccination campaigns. But I think the whole world will have enough volumes uh, by the end of 2022 to have vaccinated and protected everyone. I'm not sure this will happen for other reasons. Um, uh, and... Uh, I think that by the end of this year, 
the developed world also will be already in this uh, situation. Meanwhile, the IMF Managing Director, Kristalina Gorgieva, also told the Evolve Summit that fiscal and monetary policy may be important, but progress of the vaccination scheme will matter more. And ultimately, when I spoke to her, I asked her whether vaccine passports should be embraced as the world attempts to resume normal life. A prerequisite to bring the world to a sustained high level of growth everywhere is to vaccinate all people. And that is not yet done. We have a two-track vaccination path right now, we have to overcome that. And as you know, we put um, a plan, $50 billion worth, uh, that would generate tremendous benefits, the best return on investment in our lifetimes. Uh, Now, going to the question of uh, uh, data, we do need to know the levels of vaccinations in in different countries. And then we have to be able to communicate uh, internationally, what is uh, the status of people when they travel? In that sense, having a vaccination card that shows uh, when you were vaccinated uh, is a very uh, useful tool. It is already being applied. Uh, and I do believe that uh, we need to look into applying that more uh, broadly. Uh, obviously, uh, the question in hand would be, how credible is the underlying information? Uh, how trustworthy are the passports? Uh, and that is a question that there are more qualified organizations than the IMF uh, to answer. But from my, our standpoint, first thing first, we need to vaccinate people. Uh, and then we need to make sure that information around what is the degree of protection uh, we carry uh, is a very useful one to insensitize uh, a uh, uh, more uh, open uh, border policy around the world. Is there an international body that could manage this to overcome concerns around um, inequality of access to vaccines and privacy issues over the data? Or or would you anticipate that countries would take a, a piecemeal approach based on their own data systems and abilities to implement the structure of a system? Uh, One of the uh, uh, conclusions coming out of this pandemic uh, is that uh, we do need to build a uh, a global governance that is more effectively connected to deal with uh, pandemics. And that is uh, one of the reasons why uh, the G20 invited a high-level panel to present recommendations with a strong focus on that exact issue of global governance. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.